Hello and welcome to From the BLN, the Burnley podcast. Well, different competition, but same result. Uh, the Clarets on the end of a 3-0 defeat at Goodison Park uh, in the Carabao Cup, bringing an end to our League Cup dreams for another season. Um, a bit of a depleted podcast squad again today. No uh, Simon or Woody, but what we have got is myself, Andrew Greaves, uh, Justin Connolly, who braved... Uh, a very brave man went to Goodison Park and uh, enjoyed the delights of a, a Burnley away <laughs> performance in the Cup last mm. night. And Chris Borden. Um, so, chaps, um, let's start with you, Justin, because you were there. Mm. So, you, you made the effort. Um, was it as bad as we think it is? Or was it um, a bit of a game of two halves for you? It was a game of two halves. I mean, <clears throat> I've, been trying to, I've been trying to think, write a list of, of positives down. I've got I've got two two entries on that list. The first of which is it didn't rain, so <laughs> I think that's just about where we are with it. I mean, obviously, obviously, Murich was a, a bright spot. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I think after they scored their first goal, um, which was a really sort of horrible weak goal to give away, we seemed to sort of try and sort of claw back a bit of a bit of a foothold in the game, and we got a little bit. Bit of momentum going in that first half, but we just we we seem to be lacking uh, uh, just in that final third. We got ourselves into some good positions, but there's just nothing produced at the end of it. There's no sort of shots on target. I think the, the, there was a miserly number of shots in total, never mind on target. But I don't know. There there was it felt like early on in the game we were really going to struggle but then we seemed to just sort of just sort of take get a grip of it a little bit Sander Berger I think was receiving the ball from Murich who was not pinging them through the lines and getting him get you know getting us quite a long way up the pitch and Berger was driving forward with it but it just seems to be it just seemed to hit a brick wall I mean I'm not saying Everton were exceptionally gifted at defending on the night but we just didn't seem to be able to get, to get round them for some reason yeah, and Chris, it feels like there's a crisis of confidence in every third of the field, doesn't it? I mean, we'll talk about Murich, and I, I think he inspired a bit more confidence. But what Justin's talking about in terms of that going forward, there's almost that kind of lack of belief, lack of trust in their own abilities, lack of confidence that, hang on a minute, we're in the final third. Shit, what do we do with it now? Because, as Justin said, I think it's two shots in total, one shot on target, which is a bit of a lashed effort from an acute angle by Bear in the kind of final minutes to win as a corner in injury time. It, it's not that kind of free-flowing football we perhaps expected when we saw the transfers we brought in, is it? No, I, I say the, the, the sort of the most effective sort of Burnley. Burnley attacks that I can think of have started a game probably you know from the goalkeeper and we you know we played at lightning speed through team you know the, the break at Nottingham Forest in the in the cup game that uh, you know it, you know the chance wasn't taken but it was devastating football the the opening goal against Chelsea where they you know they've just ripped down that right hand side with uh, Vitino Trezor Vitino Foster picks it up and uh, you know Odebera, Manages to find a corner, you know, devastating football. But we're almost relying on, you know, when the ball does get to the wide players, on them beating two and three players, to, you know, producing a, you know, a, a, a footballing miracle. Really, there's sort of no real relationship between, you know, the wide players and and, and their fullbacks. You know, they invariably on the right hand side. You know, we don't know if it's going to be Roberts or Vitinho. Left hand side, you know, Taylor's ended up making it. His own through default, you know. Delcroix was half decent, I suppose, last night. But uh, it's mm. there's no sort of partnerships, you know. We, we've no partnerships at centre half. You know, Berger and and, uh, and uh, Cullen hasn't been effective in the league games. You know, they, they he'll have to he'll have to you know obviously find a replacement for Cullen on Saturday with him suspended. But it, it's just. Yeah, very, 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 very frustrating. You know, the identity that they had last season has just disappeared. Mm. And uh, yeah, to, to to be fair, I mean, we, we've we've said like you say, we'll we'll try and judge things after uh, you know the Palace game in particular. You know, maybe maybe we judge things when Benson's fit and uh, when Ekdal's fit and uh, 
Foster's back and and so on and so forth. But to, as it stands, I'm, I'm I'm struggling for any sort of positivity at all. Yeah, mm. and Justin, I mean, Chris mentioned there um, that lack of identity and lack of relationships, partnerships, call it what you want. It really does feel like that, doesn't it? Every mm. time we put out an eleven, it feels like an eleven that have never even met each other. You know, last season, the beauty of it was, you know, you knew where every single player was going to be on that pitch. You know, we had the, obviously, the the kind of sticky opening where we were getting used to Murich playing those little balls and obviously, you know, Cullen and Murich's mistake. I don't know who's really to blame against Blackpool. But after that kind of hump, we were starting to every ball that came in you knew the full backs had gone wide there was always a, a ball on if if somebody was coming behind a, uh, a cullen we knew cullen was going to drop back into the back line if somebody went forward you wouldn't trust that to happen this year would you because there just doesn't feel like and part of it is probably because of the amount of changes that we see every game what was it i think seven changes um mm. yesterday five or seven changes uh, against everton there's not that opportunity to build these relationships because it appears we're trying to use as many players as we can to try and bring them up to speed, but it's having a real detrimental effect on what you really need in football is your right back knowing exactly where your right winger is, your left back knowing exactly where your left winger is, your two central midfielders in the pivot, if you're going to call it a pivot, need to know exactly how they're going to spread that ball, you know, I agree with Chris. We should probably judge it when Bear's back, when Ekdal's back, when Benson's back fit, when we've got more of what we yeah. would perhaps see as a first choice. But we're going to have to make do amend, aren't we? To I a think, yeah, I think you're right there. I think I think I think you said it. But I think there was a, a strong identity last season, and um, and it, it it seemed to work. Whatever whoever the personnel was. Obviously, we didn't have that many changes last season as we did this. But you know, we, you remember when uh, when Howard Bellis and uh, and Bayo were out for a while, injured, and Aldo Keel and and Ekdal just slotted straight in, and they were just brilliant. And just <clears throat> the whole shape of the team didn't change, and what they seemed to be doing didn't change. This season, obviously, the results aren't going our way, so I think we're just we're just. F- flailing around trying to find a combination of players that will fit the bill and and there's there seems to be a le- less of a sort of a flexibility about how the team sets up and how he wants them to play than there is about the personnel that he chooses to do it and i, I, I can't help thinking that's a bit of a mistake because like you said you, fo- football teams have have these partnerships all over the pitch and if you're playing with a different person each game, it doesn't matter what you do in training. It's it's going to be hard to forge those patterns and and forge those sort of relationships with each other. So yeah, I, I agree. But like, I mean, a lot of the changes have been have been forced on us. We've got another one coming up this weekend, haven't we? With with uh, Josh Cullen being out, um, I can't help thinking that 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 might give us an opportunity to try something different in that midfield. But yeah, it's it's. It seems very much like we're just sort of <clears throat> throwing a team onto the pitch and just hoping it'll gel somehow rather than going out with a plan. I mean, I'm sure there is a plan, but it's it's quite difficult to discern what that plan might be at the moment. Yeah. And Chris, our old kind of weakness at set pieces that kind of reared its head a couple of times last season. I'm thinking of the Sheffield United game um, in particular. Um, I mean... The second goal, the corner, comes in. We've got Cullen on Tarks, which feels like the biggest mismatch in, you know, in football history. And then mm. Anana has the freedom of Liverpool in the six-yard box because we've got a line of three to five Burnley players all just kind of stood there staring. Is it zonal? Is it man-to-man? There just doesn't, you know, <clears throat> Vincent Company said, Stopping conceding goals is the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, as good a defender as he is, and we had this complaint when we had Eddie Howe in charge, that how can we have Eddie Howe and Jason Tindall, who were both defenders and not know how to defend? We've looks like we've forgotten how to defend. They score goals under Eddie. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They'd, That's the well, thing. They'd lose, they'd lose four or three and, and draw three apiece. <laughs> That's uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like yeah. I say the second goal. I think, I think there's a there's a still of you know all the Burnley players are the left hand side of the goal, and then there's this gap and Murich and Anana and you know all the Everton posse that attack the ball. It it's a mishmash, isn't it? It's, it but it's it's a, and it's a mismatch. You know, you, the first you know you look at the first goal. It's just. You know, Dwight Dwight McNeil's not bent this absolutely sensational ball in, you know, an unplayable delivery. It's just no. stood a ball up. He just clips it over, really, didn't he? It wasn't yeah, anything, yeah. you know. You know as, as we full well know, but we didn't see... I thought we, you know, he, he should have scored more goals, James Tarkovsky, but for Burnley. But, uh, he, you know, he's, he's more desire, more determination. It's those... Uh, those factors just to get to a you know to get to a ball first, and it is you know if you're the attacking player running onto a ball, fine. I can accept that it you know it is sometimes you know it's more difficult to be the defender when you're a bit maybe flat-footed. But we have to deal with these situations a lot better. You know you can see that coming. If it's going out to mm. Dwight, there's only one thing happening. You know you got and even though you know they haven't played with him, they, you know they know full well what's happening. They know football. And I mean, mm. the third goal is the worst. The worst. I mean, the game, game's gone at that stage, and you know, a lot of the the heads were down. But you know, we, we've spoke about Al Dakil's recovery pace, and it it just treading water. I, you know, albeit Beto's a you know sub new to the game, but hey, that mm. situation transpired where he gets to the byline, Beto, and he can. It, it's just a just an all round shambles defensively, and you just know. If you put the ball on top of Burnley, and every manager in the league will be saying the same, put the ball on top of them, and they will struggle. And even mm. you know, coming out grabbing a couple of couple of balls last night, you know, was was encouraging. But uh, I still even even with Murich, I think you know that that remains an issue because of what's in front of him. Yeah, and that's a worry, isn't it, coming up to the Palace game? Because they're a big physical side, aren't they? You bring their kind of back line forward for set pieces. That is a, you know, they're a physical side, aren't they? You know, they're, they're almost that. Um, and they've always had that kind of physical midfield presence, whether it's, you know, MacArthur who was and whoever it is in that midfield. They've got people who are runners. They've got people who are, are, are tough in the tackle. It does feel like we're just soft. Somebody on Twitter suggested that Alder Keel needs a season in the gym rather than a season in the Premier League because all the things that we thought he was brilliant at last season, which he was, and I have no doubt in his ability, I think he's a brilliant talent, but this just feels like men against boys. I mean, there was a situation yeah. where O'Shea just bounced off Dominic Calvert-Lewin last night. Yeah. You know, there's two defenders coming towards Calvert-Lewin. There's a ball over the top and somehow O'Shea, he gets back and makes the kind of, you know, goal-saving challenge, but he just bounces off Calvert-Lewin and you just think to yourself, that's one of your centre-halves. You know what I mean? You should be bullying Calvert-Lewin 45 yards from goal. There's no way Dominic Calvert-Lewin should be getting that ball. Just a simple punt over the top and we've got two defenders sucked into the ball, sucked into Calvert-Lewin. One ends up on the floor, manages to recover. Fair play to Dar Rocher for that. But it just feels like, you know, <laughs> mismatched, as Chris said, doesn't it? It's, you know... How do you how do you stop that though? Because we've got, we've got to get through till January before we can bring in reinforcements. I again, I took a bit of stick this morning by suggesting Delcroix should be in that in the side on Saturday. I thought he did all right. I think he looked mm. pretty calm on the ball. He's a big lad, you know. I suggested perhaps Charlie Taylor at left centre half and him at left back, and people were saying, "Well, why are you doing that when?" One's a centre half, one's a left back. Well, they're both technically left backs, and they're both technically mm. left centre halves. I just think Charlie's experience as part of that central two, because we've no experience, have we? Let's be honest. I mean, Roberts is yeah. a himself. Don't even get me started on Roberts. You know, he, he might have the Premier League games under his belt, but he, I find him very immature. Aldekiel's only whatever age he is. O'Shea's hardly that experience. I just feel. We just miss, don't we? we miss experience in that back line. I think I think Alder Keel is a great player, and he's gonna he's gonna improve. He's having a very very rocky start to the season, but he's probably suffering post traumatic stress disorder given all the goals that they've shipped in the first ten games. You know, you don't that that sort of record um, is not going to fill you with an enormous amount of confidence, and he, he is he is 
quite visibly nervous, I think, on the pitch. He's making some very strange decisions and <clears throat> and some uh, mistakes that's given the ball away in terrible positions on the pitch. And I don't know whether he trusts himself. I think that's the big problem. Um, <clears throat> what do you do? Do you play him through that? Do you play him through that in the hope that, uh, you know, we we dig in against, against Palace and somehow get a clean sheet and build on that? Or do you take him out of the firing line? I think if we had somebody who could step in, <clears throat> and maybe, as you say, Delcour and uh, Charlie Taylor might be might be a solution to that problem. But then you've still got Dara O'Shea to deal with, who's also, you know, not had the best starts of the season. So I think it's an awkward situation there. We're suffering with those uh, with those injuries really badly in the centre of the pitch. It would be nice to have the luxury to take one or both of those two out of the firing line just to you know, try and build a bit of confidence, but I'm not sure we've got the bodies to do that. Yeah. I mean, Chris, um, somebody suggested Dar O'Shea's played right back, probably very competent at right back. Do you shuffle O'Shea to right back where perhaps you're less, you know, you make a mistake, there's someone behind? Or is it, is it just a case of, you know, rearranging the deck chairs on the uh, the Titanic? Is, is it, yeah. you know, are we desperate That's for Eggdahl and Bear to come back? Well, absolutely. I'd, I'd see the sort of, you know, round pegs in round holes. I don't want to be sort of moving. I I, I don't like centre-ass moving over to right-back and, and so on and so forth. But as, if this was, I'd say, go back sort of 15, 16 years or so and Burnley are in the championship and, you know, just about, you know, we're not going down, but we're not probably strong enough to, to challenge. And you can throw in a McCann or a Lafferty or, you know, a Chaplow and give them 50-odd games, knowing full well. I always remember Steve saying, Steve Cottrell saying that they can make mistakes because it doesn't, it's not going to cost us. You know, we're not going to get relegated. We're not going to finish in the top six. You know, and they can make mistakes and learn and all of a sudden they've racked up half a century, a century of games. Well, we haven't got that luxury. You know, it, you mm. As it stands, I say you, you, your next bottom, and you, you you're facing, you know, facing relegation, and you know the, the, everything that goes with that—the loss of finance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's uh, the learning curve again, as as well at this level. I mean, we're talking Al, Al De Kiel is no mug. He's been, you know, he's been called up by the Belgian national side, who, albeit in a state of flux after the golden generation, you know, Delcroix played for them for this golden generation. So that you know, the the, the no mugs by a you know, German under twenty one skipper, and you know, the uh, O'Shea's an international footballer. You know, they they know the mm. game, but it, at the moment, it's just I say they they they're struggling against physicality, they're struggling against pace, they're struggling in open play, they're struggling in, in from set pieces, and I mean, are they are they not getting enough uh, you know protection? You know. Do we need two out and out defensive midfielders in there? Can the front players press a bit more? I mean, I've seen some criticism of Trezor's sort of work rate against the ball and things like that. You know, it's not like you know that Goodmanson plays there. He's an up and downer. He'll graph both ways, and you know you, you can rely on him to, to to help you out down that side. But you know, with some of the other wide players, you're just not going to get that. You know, Osho graphs. But you know, it, it, defensively, is he is he, is he of that uh, that mind? You know, that mindset. You know, probably probably not just yet. But uh, it's I say so. It's on company. He's he's, he's the, you know one of the greatest centre halves in Premier League history, and you've got Michael Jackson, who was you know was a very good you know lower league journeyman centre half himself as well. You know, it's mm. it's it's on them to find a solution. But we've spoken and spoken and spoken about balance, and we just. Like last last year, Burnley were getting sixty odd seventy percent of the ball every week and not having to defend, for the mm. most part. That ain't the case in, in the Premier League. So that's where that's where the issues. So we saw chinks in the in the in the structure last year at times, but emerged with the greatest you know defensive record in the league. But uh, they're a long way from that this time. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's move on. Um, I noticed uh, a thread on uh, up the clarets asking if VK had lost the dressing room. Now, this is something that 
we, we keep referring back to the European season where we had a horrible start and we were on 12 points, whatever it was, after that defeat by Everton, uh, amazingly, on Boxing Day. And, and, you know, we talk about Dyche bringing Heaton back in for Hart and McNeil essentially coming into the side and saving us. Is there any similarities beyond that? Because I always thought that that particular season, the biggest issue was Sean really didn't care much for being in Europe. And it almost felt like a bit of an inconvenience because we didn't have a big enough squad. But what we did have is we had all the players who'd got us into Europe, you know, pinnacle of their careers, playing in Europe, albeit in the qualifying rounds of the Europa League. But I felt that the balance within the squad mentality was out that season because... Dice, Sean Dice had decided that he was going to play the likes of Kevin Long and Ben Gibson and Phil Bardsley in European games. And there were lots of players sulking because they thought to themselves, well, we've got them into Europe. We could have a bit of a tip at this. And they weren't playing. And it took that kind of, by Sean's account, you know, a fairly honest sit-down conversation after Everton and then getting back to basics. Is there a similar situation here, do you think, Justin, whereby those players that have got us into the Premier League I mean, that mm. opening day against City, I don't think we could believe quite how few players mm. who'd been anywhere near last season's squad were actually in that starting lineup. And it's, you know, it stayed the same. We've still barely seen Jack Cork. Brownhill's been more of a bit part player. Charlie Taylor's only been brought back in due to necessity. Murich has only had a look in in cup games. Do you think there's a chance? I'm not saying he's lost the dressing room. I think that's outrageous. But is there a bit of a hangover from the fact that these players that have got us into the Premier League have been swept aside so easily um, for this kind of new brand of football that we've brought in that's clearly not working? Well, I mean, it's not it's not working in the sense that we're not winning games, isn't it? I mean, that um, we're losing games badly. But I think we need to... I think we need to remember that what is that, what is happening now is actually the plan, isn't it? The, the plan is that we get all these young, inexperienced talents who we think are going to be world beaters sooner or sooner or later. We we throw them into the team. Uh, we give them as much experience in the Premier League as we possibly can, which is inevitably going to be like a the bruising experience, but hopefully a learning experience as well. We watch we watch them flounder for a bit. Hopefully, we can teach them to float, and then eventually they'll they'll start to to swim. That that is actually the the stated plan, isn't it? That's what they are trying to do, and the gamble in that is they're hoping that will somehow amass enough points, um, you know, to to stay in the division, and then those players will kick on next season. But I, I think. I think it's a, it's a very very tall order for so many young players to have so much responsibility placed on them, and I think that we've reached the point in the season now with what we've got four points from ten games. Um, I'm sure they would have ho- hoped, uh, you know, uh, if not expected to have a few more points on the board by now, uh, even given this sort of this plan they've got. I think we've reached the point now where we do need to sort of start plugging some holes. I, I, I said it before the, the the Bournemouth game, but I think the midfield is a real issue. I, I don't think we can go into the, any any of these Premier League games with, with just two in the centre of the pitch. I think that's part of the reason why the defence is, is creaking so much because they're under so much pressure all the time because we just keep giving the ball away. And that, I think that's why we're not, we've stopped creating those chances up front like we were at the start of the season. We just we just haven't got enough in that midfield to protect the defence and move the ball far enough up, up the pitch to get these these young talents involved. So I, I, I'm not I'm not entirely surprised by what's happening. Um, I, I think we all hope that the, the corner would start to be turned uh, by now. The problem is it seems to be getting worse, doesn't it? We seem to be we seem to be not creating much and still shipping those goals. So something's got to give sooner or later because we are we we're now in danger of getting cut adrift a little bit if 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 it's if it's allowed to 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 move in the, in this direction any further. Yeah. And Chris, I guess, you know, we will see a change in that midfield on Saturday and a change we've not seen apart from the odd cup game. 
I I I really like Josh Cullen, and, I, and I, it's clear company really trusts you know Josh Cullen to be one of his kind of lieutenants. I do just wonder whether. And I feel really bad saying this. He's part of the root of the problem in that he's he's getting bullied. And I'm I'm not saying this is you know he's a very talented player, but I just wonder whether Saturday is an opportunity to try something slightly different that perhaps frees up Sanderberger, that perhaps offers a bit more protection. You know, there's lots of little things that I just think. Cullen is not being helped by the players that are being selected around him and company clearly wants to select those players around him. So do we drop somebody else into the Cullen role, be that Cork or Brownhill? And does that potentially then solve the issue that Justin's just said and you alluded to in terms of that speed at getting from front to back, which we do do. We've shown it against Spurs, against you know United on breaks, against Chelsea for the goal, against Forest. You know, I guess the question is, is could Cullen be the issue and does Saturday give us a chance to try something different in there? Or again, are we rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic? <laughs> well, I think people forget about Cullen. They look at his age and think, oh, he's an experienced footballer. And, you know, he plays every game that Ireland play. But he's he's another who's learning about life in the Premier League. It's not much Premier League football, if, if any of off the top of my head, with West Ham, I was you know he's 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 been a lower league uh, you know low low man before going to uh, to Anderlecht and uh, obviously having the success he had last year where we you know this midfield metronome that we keep mentioning but uh, he's, uh, he's 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 a super player but he you know he, he needs someone with that bit more physicality and you know that ability to to get you know pick up a football and drive it teams as well that we've we've been blessed with down the years you know even you know with a with a mecha- I mentioned McCann again you know the grounded eat up in central midfield yeah. the likes of Wade Elliott you know who, who's you know obviously a wide player but had great success playing playing in field I love the way Berger you know when he drives with the ball he's so he's really elegant and he, he he eats up a lot of ground without looking particularly rapid you know that that sort of uh, mm. you know, the moment where he 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 got to, got down you know the the right hand side to the byline and fed a ball over and you know narrowly you know narrowly denied uh, last night and uh, he he needs to play off the front and then we need the sort of double you know the double pivot as such pro you know whether it's whether it's Cork and Brownell you know or or bringing Masengo in out of the blue. You know, the, the, see, the lad looks to have the attributes to be mm. able to protect the football under pressure and, you know, <laughs> manipulate the ball to get it to get us going forward. Mm. It's uh, sooner or later he's going to need an opportunity, and this this may yeah. well be it. But Brown mm. Brownhill's not a natural pivot, not a natural defensive no. midfielder, but he gives you that bit of bit of nasty, a bit of bite, he'll intercept things, he'll win the ball and that, you know, maybe that sort of goes into the equation but uh, it's I think we, we, we all felt all summer that they hadn't addressed that situation suitably and it's you know, it's come to roost, hasn't it? Yeah, I do wonder whether Masengo is, is a fitness issue in terms of you know, he was obviously quite late in the door and you know had been without a club, so it's not like he'd already started pre-season elsewhere because he'd he'd obviously left Bristol City and left, uh, I can't remember which French club he was at last year, but his stats last season, the second half of the season in Ligue 1, were very good and it almost, I, I, I can't remember who it was, but one of these kind of, you know, stats-based Twitter accounts had actually posted a report and said, you know, everything that we were looking for, essentially he has, you know, that ability to... To drive with the ball, to protect the ball, protect the back four, drop into the back, you know, drop into a back line. I do wonder whether, I mean, I think that was his first appearance in the first team match day squad last night. I wonder whether he's now perhaps approaching the fitness level we need for match fitness. I know he's played for the under 21s and the, the under 18s as, as an overage player a couple of times, but, um, I think you're right. I think in terms of Sanderberg, I think uh, I was speaking to a, a mate of mine who's a Sheffield United fan. He said he can look he can look a bit lazy at times, which I think I've accused him of. 
not getting involved. He kind of flicks a foot out and it's not really a strong challenge. But actually, he's very deceptive with the ball in terms of pushing forward and driving. And we saw, you know, for the disallowed goal against Forest, for instance, he, he does come on sometimes and change the rhythm of games, doesn't he? He's very much a, a player who you can you can rely on to to, to change games. Um, looking ahead to Palace, Palace now becomes almost a must-win, doesn't it? I mean, we'd have almost accepted kind of if we'd have picked up a positive result at Bournemouth, it being a not-lose game. Mm. But it does feel, with Arsenal away after that, and it was the madness of, of you know, Joe Skinner suggesting on Monday's podcast that if we get a positive result against Palace, we might then think about a positive result at Arsenal. Uh, and I think we were all a bit like, yeah, you know what, Joe, you're absolutely spot on there. Yeah, We've got to get a positive result against Palace, haven't we, Justin? I mean, it, it feels like not just absolutely. a six point, a, a must win game rather than a must not lose. Absolutely. I mean, they they're, they're, they're eight points ahead of us, but I think they've had a much easier start to the season. Um, and I think even Roy Hodgson is conceding that this is a game that Burnley will be looking at and thinking, you know, we, 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 we could get something. I mean, obviously it's going to be tough, but I, I honestly think if we can if we can strengthen that middle of the pitch, you know, if we can get Court, Brownhill and, and Berger playing together... Um, you know, it might protect the back four a bit more. It might give us a bit. I mean, we're going to have to be stronger in that midfield against against Palace, aren't we? Because they're big, big, strong lads, and and we need to be, to be able to avoid that sort of bullying that we've had. Um, the the big problem for me is, so far, teams haven't had to be that good to beat us, have they? They have. They haven't had to try that hard to because uh, we 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 shoot ourselves in the foot so often by conceding early-ish goals. And then that just seems to sap the life out of it. That, that, that's what happened at Everton. You know, we they 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 got a soft goal. And you, I said, I said about, I said halfway through the second half, I said, you know, um, we, we, we're making it difficult for ourselves here. We're going to have to, play, if we play like this, we're going to have to score five goals every game to, to be in with a chance of, uh, of racking up any points. The guy in front of me just turned and said, "This team's never going to score five goals in a game," and uh, I think I think that is unfortunately true. So I think what we really need to do is make it make ourselves difficult to beat, um, and I think that's the platform that you have to put down to try and 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 put get yourself forward into a position where you give yourself a chance of of winning a game. Never mind. You know, actually going and doing it, we've got a, we don't we don't stand a chance at the moment. You know, we need to sort that 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 fragile defence out. We need to give them a bit more protection, and then we've got a platform where we can, you know, use these exciting young talents we've got. Because at the moment, you know, like I say, we don't stand a chance if we're going to give three goals away every game, do we? I mean, that, that's that's not it's not rocket science. It's just you know. It's, it seems like a sort of fairly straightforward thing, and and company has, as you alluded to before, has said it's you know it's easy to stop conceding goals. Now this weekend, Saturday, three o'clock, that's the time to put this plan into action. Yeah, and I mean, Palace are not without their own injury worries, are they? I think Eze and Elise both out. I know Roy Hodgson attracted some criticism, Chris, for for criticising his own band of young players after after the Spurs game and you know been very critical I think he's come out today and apologized or confirmed that he's apologized to the the young players and basically said look I was a bit out of order disappointed to lose games but you know he basically said look I brought some young players on and rather than keeping us at level we actually got worse and you know that's mm. that's no good these players are meant to take us on um you know, it's not going to be an easy game, but it's not going to be an easy game for Palace either, is it? I mean, you know, for all of our kind of rotten run that we've been on, if we can string together 70 minutes of decent football, as opposed to just patches of five minutes here, 10 minutes there, if we can get some consistency, this could be a game we're looking at, licking his lips a little bit and thinking, this could just start to turn the tide a bit, isn't it? Yeah, they're looking at you. You know, you've got a very, very solid Crystal Palace team, as, as per <laughs> plus mm. Eze, and obviously if Eze is not not there and Elise is not there, 
they lose that stardust palace. But, uh, you know, it's almost like Roy hasn't been away when you look at the uh, the lineup. You know, Anderson and uh, Gay, Ward, Mitchell, Schlupp, Decore, uh, Will Hughes, Klein. It's like <laughs> that, that mm. IU signed a new deal this week, hasn't he? He's yeah, been there forever. That, yeah. You know, it's uh, they, they're solid, but they they're only scoring at I think you know not point eight goals a game, conceding one point three a game. You know they've won one of the last five, lost the last two. It's certainly it's an eminently winnable game, but they're going to have to get their noses in front, and you know and they're going to have to you know build build from that. If they go behind, I, I fear the worst. But uh, yeah, they they've just uh, I say a big. Big shout out for Sam Johnston, one of my. Uh, I was at Exton Villa. He's one of the uh, Exton alumni that have come through and played for England that we're all very proud of. Him and Dave Unsworth. But uh, it's no, they're. Uh, he's. I mean, he's effectively keeping Nick Pope out of the England squad at the moment, and uh, you know, looks to be on merit as well. But uh, so no, they're a they're a top side. Cla- uh, Gay's a top talent. Yeah. I think he's. Uh, you know, he can be knocking on. The door to be one of England's starting centre halves next summer, I think. You know, he's uh, again, you know, pace, positional sense. You know, he's 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 built. You know, he anticipates, uses the ball well, and 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 absolute diamond of a kid as well. But, uh, it's uh, I say get get score first, and force them to come out, and all of a sudden we've got a game on, haven't we? Where you know we can maybe you know. Break at pace like we've spoken about, and and uh, and take advantage because I say without Eze and and, and Elise, uh, you know, I think we can at least cope with them. You know, Ed- Edwards never really, you know, set you know set things alight, which is probably <laughs> the kiss of death from my part. But uh, yeah, if, yeah, I will will use he's a good player, but you know, he's, he's someone that Burnley were looking at a couple of years ago. And, you know, he's he's not really. Yeah, again, is he the the type of player we should be fearing? You know, not 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 really. It's uh, mm. it's eminently winnable. But uh, I think, I mean, if Burnley lose Saturday, I can see things getting a bit. Uh, yeah, no, not not ugly. That's the wrong word. But uh, it, it's going to be. Uh, you know, the the pressure's going to be ramped up, isn't it? Yeah, mm. definitely. Um, I think you did do. You probably have provided the kiss of death when you said oh, they're scoring oh, no, 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 eight oh, no. goals per game welcome to Burnley boys you know help yourself <laughs> you know we'll check you out on the way out kind of thing but uh, I think yeah it, I, I, I agree you know it's, it's not that lo- it's not that long ago since I described the uh, Everton Carabao Cup clash as an eminently winnable game <laughs> I was, was. Just the words, was. I'm just gonna utter the words. I'm just gonna I was just gonna utter the words never a better time to play Crystal Palace just to <laughs> just to kind of really oh. put the kibosh on us getting anything on Saturday. But um of course after Palace we have got um we, we have got kind of Arsenal away. Um but coming up in the distance, you may have seen this today, we have got the West Ham game, which is the, the club's first flag game. Now, I don't know if you saw this today, chaps. They, as part of the kind of um, let's mm. make turf more a fortress, it looks like we've decided against the the drummer. The drummer has been parked. There's some very disappointed drummers out there, I'm sure. Um, but the safe standing, which seems to be a bit of an afterthought in the the press releases, is hopefully going to be in before the end of the year. I presume it's a cricket field stand, but we await further details. Um, but we, we are allowing flags in the grounds <coughs> now. The club, mm. in their in their wisdom. Uh, under uh, flags and banners at Turf Moor. Um, happy to announce Burnley FC's first team fixture, our first home fixture with flags and banners is going to be against West Ham on the 25th of November. To commemorate, the first 200 fans will receive an official Burnley FC flag to proudly wave during the game. Now, anybody else can take a flag in, of course, as long as you purchase an approved flag from the parrot <laughs> store in a range of Burnley FC branded designs. Now, these flags Brilliant. are 15 quid a piece. Um, I'm guessing there's going to be about 235 flags in total. <laughs> um, Chris, you mentioned the Newcastle flag wall. You know, You're last flag, week too. at Bournemouth, we had, by the looks of things, looking at some tweets that I saw, flags on every seat. 200 flags feels a little bit, and I presume these flags aren't huge, it feels a little bit like we're not going to see 
these flags meant much of a difference. And I can't see many people rushing out and spending 15 quid on a flag. It feels a bit like another, I don't want to say an own goal because that's probably a little bit unfair. I get what they're trying to do. It just feels like another slightly ill-thought-out, forced way of creating atmosphere, doesn't it, Chris? Oh, yeah. Well, let's say I, 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 was, I was reading, you know, comment from uh, from Darren, from Darren Bentley, who obviously used to work at the club and works at Everton. And he was saying the sort of policy at Everton is bring any flag you like, as long as it's not got any you know, profanity on it or you know anything contentious or anything like that. Do what you like. I mean, wouldn't it be magic if we had, you know, like the war flags and we've got, you know, someone goes out and creates, you know, a, a, a fabulous, you know, tribute to Vincent Company on a flag. You know, the, we won the league at Ewood with, a, with a, you know, the, the team celebration on it or anything. Pick your know, flag of Stan, a flag of Sean Tice, a flag of Wade Elliott. I don't care. You know, just, you know, decorate the place. It, it, it they're fabulous, these Newcastle. You know, the TFOs, they, they, they like to call them. And, you know, Palace are the same. You know, we give Palace you know, due respect. When you go to Sellhurst, you know, they, they amp up the atmosphere and they like their uh, their flags and things like that. But uh, this sounds like... I, 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 applaud the, I applaud the intention, but the... Uh, yeah, the, the, re, the reality is, is, is usually disappointed. Yeah, and you made a point off. Uh, I'm going to drop you in it now. I'm going to throw you under the bus here, Justin. You made a point before we started recording by saying you'd never been in a situation where a dire situation was made better by somebody waving a flag. So I'm guessing you're not going to be rushing to to be one of the first two hundred. I'm going to be the. Now. I'm going to be the grumpy old man in this uh, in this scenario. I, I I don't want flags at all. I'll be honest. I mean, it strikes me with this and the drummer, which. I don't know whether they have part of that idea. It's not mentioned in that in that uh, press release, is it? No. Um, but it, I, I mean, I, I imagine they would have mentioned it if they were still going ahead with it. Maybe they have. Hopefully, they've quietly forgotten about it. But it seems to me they're trying to make turf more a hostile environment, not not for the uh, opposition, but for me. You know, I I don't I don't want somebody banging a drum in me. I don't I don't want somebody flying flying a flag in front of me so I can't see what's going on. It's just it's just not. I mean. So I say I've said it before. I'll say it again. I don't think this kind of thing is aimed at me. But I, what what baffles me about this whole scenario is we've had five we've had five home games right this season. We've conceded sixteen goals in those in those five home games and only scored four. Now I'm not I'm not. It doesn't it doesn't take a genius to puzzle out that the atmosphere is going to be a little bit flat if you know you're conceding so many goals and you're losing so many games so heavily. And that, to me, there have been moments when the crowd has got up. You know, think of think of um, when uh, Lyle Foster scored that goal against Spurs early on. After that goal went in, the place went went mad. <clears throat> Perhaps a little bit too mad because we we you know drove drove forward and considered one on the break, didn't we? But um, and and that the the first the first sort of period after after half time against Villa when it when they came out and looked like they were do, you know haven't gonna have a go. The, the crowd did get up. It's it's about what happens on the pitch, um, and I, honestly, I, I can't think of a of a of a situation that we found ourselves in at home this season that the, the subdued atmosphere would have been helped by a, a drummer and people waving flags. I just can't see how when you're sort of three and four down, that is going to drag the team to where it needs to be. You know, we, we need to get things right on the pitch, don't we? And I, I'd like to see more focus on that. Flags, I'd be—I'm delighted they're charging fifteen quid for them because, to me, that means that they're not going to sell very many, are they? Um, well, there we go. We had—we had Woody <laughs> being really positive when you weren't here on Sunday when we were recording, Justin. So I, I think oh, we might sorry. Might have to ban you and uh, bring uh, bring in. Uh, the club have also promised. Uh, we should say have also promised a, uh, a a better 
playlist, the Better Match Day playlist. Now, this is something that mm-hmm. I used to um, always have a laugh with uh, with your ex-colleague, Chris Kelvin, of course. We used to have a bit of a laugh about the, the dire state of the Turf Moor playlist. And this this morning on Twitter, we asked, um, we asked if, we asked if you know, what would you include on the playlist? And I'm going to read some of the examples here and see if, uh, see if you, you guys agree. So, uh, Russell Shardlow suggested the bringing back Tom Hark. I'm not sure about that. I never yeah. used to like Piranha by Tom Hark. Uh, no. He says it's that's a I mean, it, it served a type of purpose for a while. And... Yeah. Uh, Rob yeah. Thomas uh, on Twitter again, or X, whatever we're going to call it. Don't let me down by bad company. Oh, quite quite a good Interesting. one. Yeah, That's off not, their debut yeah. album. It's a very good, uh, very good debut album. A couple of people, including Andrew Barron, suggested "Down Down" by Status Quo. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit premature. Let's yep. keep that for the uh, <clears throat> the end of the season. Uh, BFC eighty four Ash. I can't get no satisfaction. Rolling Stones. Here comes mm. that sinking feeling. The Eurythmics. Where have all the good times gone by Van Halen? Under <laughs> pressure by Queen and losing my religion by REM. That's a brilliant I selection. I can't think any of those are going to help. Uh, Casey Cord suggested the Benny Hill theme. <laughs> they should play that during the games, not before them. Uh, Yaz, the only way is up, says Kevin John. I like that one. Uh, Dave Clark suggested Armin Van Buren turn it up. That, that'll really get us going. Dave Clark uh, suggested his own music, shall he? He should, yeah. Yeah, Dave Clark <laughs> 5, yeah. Play it, play it at Crystal uh, Palace. It? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 500 Miles, says the 1882 Lounge podcast. Again, I think it's it's had its time. A couple of people suggested Tub Thumping, Paul Walsh and somebody else. Uh, Rich, which is Pie Based Life Form on, on Twitter, suggests, still haven't found what I'm looking for. You two as a tribute to our defending from set pieces. Uh-huh. That's quite that's quite a good one. I like that. Uh Mystify Wayne on, on X Twitter suggests white flag Dido. We do oh, kind of send up the white Mystify flag. Mystify by NXS. <laughs> That'd be a good one, wouldn't it? Yeah, I like that. Uh, anti football, the the rather hilarious anti football on uh, on on Twitter. Uh it definitely follow anti football if you don't already. Uh, a friend of mine suggested Happy Together by the Turtles. As the song right before kickoff that the crowd can sing along to, Alan Mull of Kintyre at the city ground. That's a good oh, tune, that, isn't it? I like that. Happy Together by the Turtles. Uh, yeah. Josh Nicholson says Blue Monday. North Yorkshire Claret says Always Look on the Bright Side. Uh, pretty good. Uh, Somebody suggested the remix. You guys will love this, I think, as much as I do, because I do play this quite often. Met a girl in the Panama Jaws, but the Wembley 2009 <laughs> remix. Oh, yeah, I've always got that on in my house. That's a great <laughs> I love that one. I wind, uh, I wind I remember my wife. remember the recording of that. Yeah, 1994, that, weren't it? One of my first jobs on the, on the paper, yeah, going down to the recording of that one. Love that one. Uh, Paul Freethy, rather cheekily again, down, down by status quo. Now, this is a good one. I put this on early when I saw this on Twitter. Steve Harvey, M65, Life in a Northern Town. Uh-huh. That's the one that also samples yeah. the same kind of uh, as Dario G, uh, Sunshine. Uh, Matt O'Donnell suggests Don't Stop Believing. Uh, mm. What else have we got? A Change Would Do You Good, Cheryl Crow. Which is Danny Statham out in Prague. Uh, just one of the boys suggests pressure drop by Toots and the Maytals. Uh Beaconsfield Claret, things can only get better. Hmm. Uh, there we go. There's some good suggestions there, isn't there? I think what we're gonna do is we're gonna produce our own match day playlist that will stick on Twitter so you can rip that apart and uh, and what have you and laugh at our kind of uh, musical suggestions. Uh, yeah. let's see what they are. Uh, any other business chats before we leave it there for this week? Um, what, no. What, oh yeah, what was that all about? That is bizarre, isn't it? And I've heard, I've heard that. Oh, he, he gave the fans, you know, a, a bit when when Tarkovsky scored. But uh, yeah, but they were booing him before then. I was baffled yeah. by that. Has he has he done something wrong that I don't know about? Because yeah. as far as I could tell, we just accepted an offer for him from a club from a higher. Division and he, you know, he took the opportunity. What, what's, what's to blame him for for that? And we got more money for him than he was probably worth. Yeah. Well, I debate, I debate that. You know, he'd, uh, 
in a disappointing last couple of years, probably with the club, and they were, you know, he, 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 he certainly stats wise, you know, didn't stack up, and you know, he was his, you know, his own worst critic, you know, really. But uh, I didn't understand. You know, he was a really, really good lad who, you know, you know, Burnley took him at fourteen from Man United and turned a, you know, a huge amount of money for him. You know, and he, you know, yeah. I don't know, what hundred and fifty odd games plus for the club. It. Mm. I, I did, yeah, I didn't, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand, you know, booing his every touch and calling him a wanker and this, that, and the other. And, uh, yeah. mm. It felt really weird, didn't it? I mean, he has put an Instagram story out today because I follow all these kind of people because I'm a bit cooler than you two. Um, and he, he has put a, a club I hold dear in my heart, always, always wishing Burnley the best and a love heart. You know, yeah. I don't think, that, I didn't think there was any animosity when he left. You know, he, he got an opportunity. I think back and watch most Burnley like, fans are the, yeah. I think most Burnley fans would have probably driven him to Goodison Park, you know, at the at the time he went. I think he's actually, you know, under Sean's been been fantastic and he's, you know, they really missed him at the start of the season when he was out injured. And um, yeah. yeah, I agree with you, Chris and, and Justin. I just I just found it bizarre when I was um when I was, you know, watching last night and hearing the booze and seeing I people thought, on Twitter. Yeah. I thought somebody. I thought he must have said something before the game or something like that. I mean, he did come and do the sort of ears after he'd clipped that crossover for Tarky to score in front of the Burnley fans, which probably wasn't the wisest thing to do. But they had been booing him before then. I, I, I thought well, that's, that's really strange. And all, I mean, I hate it. I hate it when we boo any player, former player or not, because they're always guaranteed to do something brilliant yeah. if you do that, aren't they? Yeah. Absolutely. Right, let's leave it there, chaps. So don't forget, follow us on social media at BO Podcast on X, Twitter and Facebook. Do like, share, rate, review, do everything you can. Uh, help us get up them charts. Share us with your friends if they don't already listen to us. Um, and do continue to give us feedback on Twitter. We will be posting odd questions. We will um, be asking for questions as well. We will be back on Monday. I'm not even going to jinx it by saying hopefully with a positive show. Um, it's going to be positive, win, lose or draw. Uh, we can guarantee you that. Um, I think we're back to full strength on Monday as well. So uh, until then, enjoy the game on Saturday. Um, don't forget, get your flag-waving arms ready for West Ham later in the month um, and bang whatever looks like a drum uh, between now and then to try and raise the atmosphere. Uh, and Let's see if we can get that first three points at home. Uh, until then, enjoy the rest of your week and up the clarets.